But uh, you know, when, whenever I take up a new sport, like a, not a new sport, maybe sometimes a new sport, but whenever I do something I haven't done before, like the first thing I love to buy in that is the shoes. And it's, it's partly because I have like a shoe thing, like I just love shoes. But it's also because I hate having the wrong gear in doing something. Like, it, you know, whenever you, you like try and do something and you don't have the right shoes. Like you, play, you play like rugby and tackies or something. It's just like you look like an idiot and you slip and slide and it's not right. And, you know, whatever sport you're doing, if you don't have the right shoes, you can't do that sport properly. It probably comes a little bit from some childhood drama um, growing up and... Uh, I played basketball and, I, you know, we just had no clue playing basketball. We had just come out of apartheid, so there, were no, there weren't like many like American sneakers in the country yet. And so I, my parents very generously bought me a pair of hiking boots, high-tech hiking boots, because they had good ankle support. And they were expensive. I mean, you know, we didn't have a lot of cash and they were expensive, but, geez, they were hard. <laughs> like there's no give in a hiking boot sole. Like there's no cushioning there. And we played on cement courts outside and they very quickly wore very smooth underneath. And so it was, it, it made life quite hard. And so I had this thing like, yeah, I must get the right shoes. I've got it. And so maybe that's just where my, my fetish for having the right shoes comes from. But uh, maybe you've, I don't know if you've ever played, like try to play a sport with the wrong gear. Or maybe you've borrowed someone else's equipment. Um, like, you know, if you try and play golf somewhere and you're like, just like a borrowed set of clubs or borrow this from someone and you don't, like it's just, it just doesn't work nice. It just doesn't feel right. It just feels awkward as, you know, maybe they're nicer club, but it just feels awkward when you use other people's stuff. And, you know, sometimes I think for many of us, when we face battles in life, unfortunately, we approach them in the same way. We, we, we take on things that are not ours. We, we put on stuff that's, that's not mine and we, we want to borrow things and have other people do them for us and we don't have the right things to face those battles that we have to face. We want to fight, fight wars in, in the way that the world fights wars. And you're kind of going, that's, it's just, it's just not working. It's just like this thing's not happening for me. You know, often very times the, the battles that we face in life, we approach from an earthly point of view. And that's just because maybe that's the way we've been raised, that's the way we've always done it, that's the way we've seen it in our family. This is how we deal with these things. This is how we fight these battles, is in simply taking things at face value. Now, a postmodern, a postmodern kind of Western secular mind has, has been taught for, for hundreds of years since the Enlightenment that only what we can see is real. Only the things that are tangible and measurable and I mean, that's what science comes out of. It's like, can we measure it and repeat it? And then, you know, that's the scientific process of experiments and discovery. And that enlightenment has taught us to only believe what we can see, that all our, all our battles are against something physical and tangible and measurable. But the Word of God tells us that not all of our battles are like that. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so if our battles are, are not against flesh and blood, then it is spiritual. And if the battle is spiritual, then our weapons should be spiritual weapons that we use to contend with, if we're going to contend successfully. Paul writes again in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he says, For though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, 
They have divine power to demolish strongholds, in other words, the weapons that we use. Ephesians 5, going back a chapter from where Paul spoke about the, the battles we face, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 20. The title, if you're looking for one this morning, and if you remember nothing else, is Worship is Warfare. Now, just as a caveat, we're going to speak a lot about singing and about that as an element of worship, but we understand that the Word calls us to live lives of worship. And Dave, Dave had two brilliant sermons a couple of weeks ago, and I encourage you to go and listen to those um, about worship and about lives that are how we live lives of worship. But worship is warfare. When we choose to worship God, we are warring against spiritual powers and authorities that are opposing God. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 tells us that offering our bodies as living sacrifices to God is our spiritual act of worship. But what does it mean? Like, what, like that's great, it sounds nice, and so, but, but like pragmatically, like what does it look like to offer my body as a living sacrifice? Do I have to, do we lie on an altar in the morning as like a thing? Do we get off, like how does it work? It's a bit weird, it sounds a bit strange, because we don't do sacrifices anymore. But Paul goes on in that and he says, this is, he says, out of that thing, so when we, when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, this is what it looks like. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see it? Don't conform, so don't be like the rest of the world, but be transformed. Now the difference between conform and transform is conform is an outside-in thing. We put that on. That's a legalism thing. That's like, hey, obey these rules. Stick to these things. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah? Pretty simple. We all know what that's about. Conform in this way. Put a uniform on, look the same. But transform is very different. Transformation is something that happens from the inside out. It may result in the same behavior, but it looks very different on the inside. Transformation happens when there is real change. Conformation is simply obedient behavior. Transformation is change of nature. And that's what God says is, is our spiritual act of worship. You see, when we worship something, we choose to obey that thing. Is it something I said, Bob? <laughs> when we worship something, we choose to obey that thing. That is the essence of worship. Is that we are choosing to obey something. So the question is, what are you worshipping? Yo, I sing songs to Jesus on Sunday. Yeah, that's great. But on the other 166 hours of your week, what are you obeying? What are you worshipping? What is the thing that has authority in your life? That's what worship lives for. And we are made, as human beings, we are made to worship. And like Dave said in a sermon, I think you quoted someone, but I'm going to quote you because I think you're awesome. He said, I'm being so nice to Dave publicly. And he said, <laughs> he said, we as humans, we're going to worship whether we like it or not. But we need to be aware and choose what we're going to worship. We worship. We are made. It's, it's part of who we are. We're going to, but we need to be aware and conscious 
of what we're going to and who we're going to worship in that moment. Some of us try and just conform from the outside in, and that ends up in law keeping and in death. And it ends up being something that is, is very unpleasant to be a part of. If you've ever tried that, it's just not fun. You know, we kind of think, like, maybe if I get this like, certain combination of, of words and songs right, there's this magic incantation that I can say, and there's, I can sing these songs because they're the latest Passion or Bethel or Hillsong United songs. These are the ones that we go elevation worship songs, maybe. And we can get this, and if I do this right and that, and then, then maybe God will do something nice for me. But God's not like that, friends. God's a God of grace and mercy. He's a God who loves you more than you could ever think or dream or imagine. You know, so often we ascribe the negative things to God and the, and the seemingly positive things to the enemy. But it's the other way around, and the word's clear on that. That the enemy came to kill and steal and destroy, but Christ came so that we could have life and life abundantly. And who doesn't want an abundant life in all areas, in relationships, in your life? Who doesn't want that? Fortunately, our worship is not just trying to law keep and do things right. But like a living sacrifice, all we need to do is to die. <laughs> Sounds pretty pretty trite but really right worship of God means dying to self it means taking up your cross daily and going I'm gonna lay down my wants and my desires and my and I'm gonna take up Jesus's cross and follow him in his way I'm gonna put his kingdom first in my life I'm gonna choose to obey what he says and live how he says and that is an act of worship because it takes faith to do that to go Jesus knows better than me for my life so I'm gonna choose to trust that what he tells me to do is good for me not just for those around me, but it's good for me as well. Who knows? Maybe when we do that, we'll bring about the advancement of his kingdom. But two quick stories. Well, one's going to be a bit longer, but the other one, the second one's going to be short because Dave kind of shared on it and got ahead of me. But two stories of God using songs as songs of worship as warfare, physically, and, and what that looks like in the Word. And the first one is out of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, I'm going to read a few verses as we go, but it's pretty much the whole chapter where um, Jehoshaphat is a, it's a great name for your kids if you're looking for a, a, like an Old Testament name. I think in modern days it could be either one boy or girl, but it's a, he was king of Israel. And um, he's actually a pretty good king so far. He's, you know, after, after um, Saul and David and Solomon, then kind of the, the monarchy sort of went good king, bad king, worst king, bad king. It was very up and down. And they were like, it wasn't a great time for Israel. But Jehoshaphat seems to be a pretty good king. And he's doing all right. And um, what happens is these, all these ites that are around Israel that are going to attack them, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meonites, they come to wage war. And Jehoshaphat cries out to God and he says, man, these are the people you told us not to attack when we took the promised land and now they're attacking us. I do something about it, God. And so God, he, he stands up in the assembly of Judah and the temple of the Lord in front of the courtyard and he cries out to God and he reminds God of his presence, of his, of his promises. And down in verse 12 is where I'm going to read from. And he says, speaking still to God, Jehoshaphat the king, he says, our God, Will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I tell you, have you ever felt like that when you're facing a battle? 
we have no power. Like this thing I'm facing is, is too big for me. I, we have no power to face this thing. Have you ever felt powerless in the face of a battle? This vast army, overwhelmed by just, Lord, there are, it's not just one battle. There are so many battles. It's just one thing after another. I just feel so, like just completely overwhelmed. Don't know what to do. He literally says, we do not know what to do. He's clueless. But he has the kicker, what he ends that sentence with. He says, but our eyes are on you. When you feel that way, when you feel powerless and overwhelmed, when you feel like you have no clue what to do, just absolutely outnumbered by the enemy, but our eyes are on you. This is the security that we have, eyes on God. We look to him for our help. And we wait and we worship. And those are two different things. We wait and we worship. And that's what they do. Verse 13 is an incredible verse. It speaks, it says, All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord. They are there as families. Here they are, in the midst of a great battle, with the king, standing in the court, the king, with yeah, he's coming in and he's probably going to, you're probably expecting like military strategy. And they're there with their families, husbands, wives, children, standing there before the Lord. I'll speak more about that just now as one of, the, one of the things that we need to do in an application. But friends, it's important for us as families to worship God. Not just here. Not just on a Sunday morning. But physically as a family to worship God is, an, is a key thing. Parents, demonstrate it for your kids. Show them what it looks like. I've been poor at this because I don't like me singing. But I, I'm challenged by God and I'm going to be better at it. Confessions of a pastor. So, here it is. Let's do it as families. Let's stand before God as families. Jump down to verse... Okay, so, so verse 14. The Spirit of God comes on a, a guy and he prophesies. He stands in the assembly. Verse 15. And onwards, I'm not going to read all the, the verses, but there's, there's this incredible prophecy that comes out. And over and over again, it says, do not be afraid or discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them. And what they receive in that moment, while they're standing there, reminding God of his promises, worshipping, singing to God with the families, what they receive from God is encouragement and strategy. Isn't it a beautiful thing? We often think, man, when we worship, it's so nice. It's such like a cushy feeling and we feel great and it makes us nice. And, and there are, there are like literally physical benefits to singing happy songs. There are physical benefits to singing. Psychological, like your body releases certain chemicals and things. It's amazing. But God doesn't only give them the encouragement. He gives them the strategy. I, it's nice to be encouraged, but, you know, the song's going to finish. And then what do I do? And that's where God says, this is how you're going to do it. Tomorrow, you're going to march down against them. They're going to be coming up here. You'll find them at the end of this gorge and you, you won't have to fight. Take up your positions. Stand firm. So in other words, be ready. Go down. Don't be lazy. Don't be back-footed. Get up. Go out there. Stand firm. But God will fight for you. What an incredible verse. Stand firm. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Man, he says it three times. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged in this, in this, this prophecy. 
Why? Because we need it. We forget so quickly. We get up there and we're like, yes, I'm going to kick him in the knee. Raw, raw, re. And then we're like, oh, he's kind of big. Maybe you should kick him in the knee and I'll be over here. And we get discouraged so quickly. We face that battle and we go into it and we, man, I've been praying for Jen this, this week and like there's been so much discouragement for me. I'm praying and I'm going, God, do this thing, break out. And it doesn't happen. And man, she's, you know, kidneys, now it's this, now it's that. And I just felt for us, God. God says over and over again, do not fear, do not be discouraged. And he gives a strategy for the battles. Then what happens? Jehoshaphat bows down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Jerusalem and Judah fell down in worship before the Lord. And then some Levites, the Kohathites and the Korahites, stood up and praised the Lord of God with a very loud voice. And you're like, why does it mention those oaks? Like, who are those guys? And those are the guys that David, a couple of kings back, had appointed. Those are, the, those are the families that are to be the singers that lead Israel in singing and in worship. Those who are called to lead us in worship, they have a particular set of skills <laughs> and anointing and a grace of God on them to do that for us. And that is amazing. And it's a beautiful thing to sit under that. And it's a, it's a, it's a different ministry from person to person who's going to lead that thing because they are different. But God has ordained them to lead us in that. And so come and be a part of that. Don't ne- singing and the reason we start our services with singing and worship isn't so that we can give people time to arrive who are late. It's not because it's unimportant and we're going like, okay, let's just build up, let's just get through these songs and, and, get, and then we can get to the word. That's the thing we came out for. No, we start off with singing because it sets our hearts and our minds right before God. It is a ministry that leads us into the very presence of God so that we can be ready to hear what God wants to say to us. There is an importance to public worship that we need to not neglect when we come together. Jump down to verse 21. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. How many would like to be there? Eh? You want to be like appointed as singers for God. Like, that's amazing. Like, I dig that. To go out ahead of the army into battle. Whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. You said sing. And now you're sending like, like if we sing real loud, they can hear us from the back. And so just send the arm. But he sends the singers out in front of the army. As they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You're kind of going, maybe, maybe sing like a battle song. Like, Lord, cut their heads off. Smash their teeth out. Something like that, Lord. But they go out giving thanks to God. Because his love endures forever. Are we able to sing that song before we go into the battle in faith? Knowing that no matter what happens in that battle, we give thanks to God because his love endures forever. That is the heart of a warrior who worships. And there's an incredible thing that God does in that moment for Israel or for Judah. The enemy destroys one another. They end up fighting one another. Before Israel even gets there, those ites, or they all fight each other. And they kill every single person. Not a man was left alive to run away. They slaughtered and they helped to destroy one another, is what it says in verse 23. 
By the time Israel arrives, the battle is actually over. There's so much plunder, so in other words, so much like bounty from the battle, that it takes them three days to collect it all. Verse 28. Jump down a few verses to 28. They have an incredible moment as Jehoshaphat leads all the men of Judah and Jerusalem to return back to the city. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. And then verse 28, they entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. Lyres, not like people who tell lies. It was a musical instrument, L-Y-R-E. They go in with these, so they, go, they come back from battle having collected all this stuff. And there they are, dancing and singing and praising to God. The moment they return from the battle, they go into a worship service. They know who's won the battle for them. And they praise God for it. But how easy is it for us sometimes to miss the victories that God wins on our behalf? How easy do we sometimes think, man, I'm so glad, like I did that, eh? Like my own, you see how I outwitted that oak in the argument. I got my contract through the one I wanted. And we think it's our own skill that wins the, we miss the battles that God wins for us. And so even in the small, seemingly insignificant, or maybe it's, what a coincidence that this thing worked out for me. It's incredible. Let's give God thanks and praise. Let's be quick to give Him the honor and glory for the good things in our lives, not our own strength. So what is the result of all this praising and obedient trusting? The plundering the enemy and the celebratory praise. Is this incredible statement. And the kingdom, in verse 30, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. What a beautiful thing. That sounds like a pretty good place to be. And the result is it's peace on every side. Because he lived a life of worship. You see, all of those things that he did, the, the praising, the singing, the obedient trusting, the going out to face the enemy, the plundering of the enemy, the celebratory praise coming back, all of those things make up a life of worship. That is the warfare that is worship. Not just the singing. The singing is part of it. But it's the obedience. It's the trusting. It's the faith in God. It's the willingness to act. That is the whole package of a life of worship. And God gives them peace. And God gives them rest. The next example is out of Acts chapter 16. Dave spoke about it. Paul and Silas in the prison. They're out there preaching the gospel, doing the right thing, going to the nations, being amazing Christians. And God lets them get beaten publicly. Can you imagine? Like, just, like you're out there, you're just preaching, and you're trying to be nice, Jesus loves you, and so do I. Butler. And they get beaten, and they get whipped, and they get kicked. And, they, and the authorities, are kind of the police, are kind of standing there watching and going, you're bad, eh? And then it finishes, and they gather them up, and they throw them, they put chains around there, ankles and they throw them down like a sewer manhole. It's kind of like what their prisons were like. Not like our nice sanitized prisons that we have. They're in a place that's dark, dingy, it's sif, it's dirty, it's unhygienic. They're chained to the wall in that place. And it says about midnight they were doing what all of us would be doing. Singing in hymns and praising God. I can't make midnight on a good night anymore. Never mind a night after a beating and a public shaming and being chained to a wall. 
You would expect them to be crying out to God and going like, Lord, set us free, Lord, praying and help us. And No, no, there they are singing and praising God, singing hymns to God. They knew they needed a display of God's power. They had no other hope. And so worship was their warfare in that moment. They had learned that singing to God is not merely a response to His grace, but it's also a weapon of spiritual warfare. And what God does in that moment is incredible, and He sets them free. And out of that freedom that they get, the jailer gets saved and his whole household. That's the incredible part of the story. Not just Paul and Silas coming out, but it's that because of their release, God uses that moment to bring freedom to the jailer who was going to kill himself. Because if you lost people, like you were killed. From a place of death to life, this jailer comes because of Paul and Silas' worshipping and warfare, spiritual warfare in that moment. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, I want to read it again. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we all think being filled with the Holy Spirit is like this weird, wonderful thing that's going to look all out there and it's going to... But this is what he says. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. One of the outpourings and the ways that we see the fullness of the Spirit is just the song to God. It's like a song rises up and you can't help it. We've got a kid in our house who sings like he makes noise all the time and he's just singing and he's humming tunes and he's, when he's happy, that's how I know he's happy. And he just and sometimes it, it, it drives me a bit mad because it's all the time. But I've got to be reminded that this is him happy. This is the overflowing of, he just can't, he just like, like, buddy, like if you're going to sing, sing a real song. Like sing a song that I know. But he just, it just comes out of him. And it's a beautiful thing. As a dad, it is a beautiful thing. I mean, how many of you, when your kid comes home from school, and they're like, you know, I learned this, you know, when they're small, and they learn this new song at school or whatever, and they come home and they sing this song. How many of you go, you're off key? You got the words wrong. You've got, and in those songs, you can have the words from like three different songs that they've learned over the term, and there's sung in about four different keys. But as a parent, it just, it's a beautiful thing to your heart. And you, you love them, and you scoop and you go, that's amazing. You're the best singer I've ever heard. And that's what God's like with us. He delights over us when we sing. I said it in the beginning, but is it time to say it? Not yet. It's in the applications coming next. So what does this look like? How do we how do we apply this worship as warfare principle? What is it? How do we how do we get this thing working in our lives? And the first one is use songs in your personal devotion and family family devotion time. So put on a song and have it play and sing along to that song. If you don't know any songs, we've got a church playlist on Apple iTunes. It's literally called the River Church playlist. And we also put the songs as part of our WhatsApp community. There's a group you can join in there. That is, I think, River Church Playlist. And the songs are shared on there. They're on YouTube. There's YouTube videos for them. Um, you can get access to them. You can buy the, buy the albums. They're on Spotify. They're on all sorts of whatever platform you're going to choose to use to listen to music. Um, you can get them. If you need help, we can help you. We've got some teenagers who can help you with the um, technology side of things, and they'll show you where to get them. But get the songs and then put them on. As part of your devotion time, Put on a song and allow it to speak to you and allow it to minister to you, allow it to set your heart right with God. 
Allow it to warfare for you through that song. Sing along to that song. Beautiful thing on Apple Music is you can, you can see the words. You push a button that looks like a little speech bubble on the left and then the words come up. And it even like karaoke highlights the words as they're singing it. And you can sing along to that thing. And if you don't like the sound of your own voice, put earphones in your ears. And turn it up. <laughs> but 2 Chronicles 2013, that's what we saw there. That the, the Israelites and their families, husbands, wives, children and little ones were all standing before the Lord. Do it together as a family. Might be awkward at first, might be weird, but do it. Here's the thing. Don't fall for the lie that you can't sing. Everybody can sing. Not everybody can perform very well, and not everybody can lead or should lead. Not everybody can read music or even stay in the right keys, but everybody can sing to God. Everybody can sing to God. And God hears beyond the cracking of our voice or the key changes or the struggling to find the right note. God hears our heart when we sing to him. So that's the first thing. Use song in your personal and family devotion time as warfare. Secondly, know that the ministry of song is warfare. One thing to use it, but we, if we understand that it is warfare, it helps us. Particularly the singing. Yet God, has, as we saw with those um, those men that, that David had appointed, those families, the Korahites and the Kohats that David had appointed as part of the Levites in the ministry of music. And then Jehoshaphat also then appoints some men to go ahead of the battle to lead the nation in singing. Is that the ministry that God has ordained there is to serve the house of God, to bring a continual offering of praise and worship to the Lord. These guys were to lead and assist the people in singing to God. And we see that in that um, two chronicles example, that their work is effectively warfare. And when they begin to sing, the Lord sets an ambush against that minute, against the enemy. And you can go and look. Uh, there are multiple, multiple times when God, something needs to be broken, something needs to happen. Maybe it's a, a massive battle. You're going into the going into the city, uh, taking the promised land. Joshua with the Israelites, Joshua six, going into uh, take Jericho. Go in with the army. Can you imagine being part of that army? Go out in the morning. You're camped there. You're like, love, we're going to take the, we're going to take Jericho today. Day one, Joshua comes out. Right. What we're going to do is we're going to march around the city and we're going to, we're going to blow some trumpets. Okay. And then, and then you're going to go home. Come home. What did you do today? Did you take, not, no, we didn't take it today, but we, we marched around it and we're going to take it tomorrow. Joshua says we're coming back tomorrow. And so you go out on the second day. By the fourth day, can you imagine your wife going, I think you need to do more than just blow the trumpets when you guys walk around the city. I'm not a, like a military commander, but just... But on day seven, you're going out again today? Yeah, yeah. Today's the day, love. Uh-huh. Blow that trumpet, buddy. Can you imagine? We've been tough going out there. But God wins the victory for them. So they go out, they march around the city seven times, blow the trumpets, shout, the walls fall down. Like, this is bizarre. Worship is warfare. You see, the worship there wasn't necessarily the blowing of the trumpets and the shouting. The worship was the six days that had come before in doing what God had said we should do and living a way that is countercultural, that is silly to the world, swimming upstream. And in a way that goes, I'm going to trust what God says that I'm going to do and I'm going to do that thing. And I'm going to trust God for the outcome. 
Whatever that thing looks like, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. It's a tough thing to do, friends. But the more we do it, the easier it becomes. The more we trust God and the more we rely on God and the more he, we see him coming through for us, the more we're able to go, I still don't know the outcome, but I'm going to trust God in this moment. The more we realize that worship is warfare. I want to close with this quote from John Piper. He says, The enemy is Satan and the warfare is song. We have two great weapons in worship, the word of God and song. So let us give heed to the word of God and let us sing with all our heart. I want to encourage you, the next time you're facing a battle, the next time you're, and maybe that battle is, is an internal thing, maybe it's an emotional thing like depression. Maybe it's something else that you're facing. Maybe it's an external battle that you're facing. Maybe it's a temptation that God has said, hey, I want you to leave that thing alone. Don't touch that thing anymore. And you feel that, oh, I need another one of those. Put a song on. And warfare through worship. Warfare through singing. Let's pray. Lord, you are so gracious and so kind to us. You are so good to us. You are so good for us. Help us, Lord, to not rely on ourselves so much, but help us to be reliant on you, Holy Spirit. Help us to be reliant on you for our leading and guiding daily in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray for each and every one of us that as we, as we go out, as we live out from this moment on, as we face battles where we feel overwhelmed and powerless, not knowing what to do, that you would come and you would bring encouragement and you would bring strategy, that we would turn our eyes to you and worship you, God. And in that moment, you would bring encouragement and strategy. Holy Spirit, help us to be obedient in the walking out of that lives of worship that we live. I pray that as we face battles, God, that we would be like those singers who went ahead of the army, shouting at the top of our lungs, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. God, I pray for each and every one of us that you would put a song in our hearts that would be a weapon in our hands spiritually, God. That we would not face the battles of this life looking for physical solutions, but that we would face them as spiritual battles and wage war with spiritual weapons, God. I thank you that you are for us and not against us, God. That we get to be a part of what you are busy with, Jesus. We get to be a part of your kingdom and that we live under your authority and none other. So God, come and set our hearts aright. Come and, come and birth in us hearts of worship, even if we've never had that before, Lord. Let our mouths overflow with praise and singing to you, Jesus. Unashamedly, even more undignified than we have been before, Lord God. We want to be known as a people who praise you, Lord. We give you glory because you are worthy, worthy, Lord. Let your name be exalted in our lives. Let it be lifted up. Let it be like a banner that goes over us. Amen.